Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. And you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Pandora, TuneIn Radio. Whatever you listen to podcasts, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As far as social media, I am on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1, on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza, a YouTube channel, Let's Talk Micro, and on TikTok as Let's Talk Micro. So please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, leave any feedback, leave a review if the app allows you to do so, leave any feedback on social media, any possible podcast topic suggestions. You can also email those at letstalkmicro at outlook.com. As always, any feedback, any suggestions, they are always welcome and appreciated. And if you haven't checked out the previous episode, please go ahead and do so. It was a great episode about Candida Auris. I mean, you have seen on social media, the CDC in March, they released a, a warning about, you know, the high levels seen in healthcare. So definitely, you know, I had the chance to talk to Dr. Sean Lockhart, which is a senior mycologist at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. It was a great episode. So he came in, he talked about Candida auris, you know, what kind of population it is, it's seen on as far as, you know, resistance, what kind of resistance Candida auris shows. And something interesting that they went back, well, he says, you know, that resistance, you know, it's rapidly the organism is rapidly acquiring resistance and they went back to a whole bunch of isolates that they hadn't frozen and then they tested them and most of them were actually susceptible to the same drugs that the organism is now showing as resistant to, as being resistant to. So definitely overall, it was a great episode. So please, if you haven't checked it out, go ahead and do so. So on today's episode, you know, uh, we have two recurring guests, which are doctors Andrea Princey and Rodney Rohde. They've been on the podcast before. They have done, you know, more than one episode and about different topics in microbiology. You know, as you know, definitely Andrea Princey, she came in, you know, she talked about respiratory cultures. She did a great episode on breakpoints. Dr. Rohde, you know, he talked about um, monkeypox. He talked about rabies. So overall, some great episodes were I had the pleasure of having them as guests in the podcast. So on today's episode, they come in to talk about an article regarding biofilms and antimicrobial resistance. So it was a great article, and I will post it on the show notes. But they definitely, you know, they talk about biofilms. You know, what are biofilms? Where are they seen? What's the role of biofilms in AMR? And I like how Andrea Princey, you know, she makes the distinction about that the AMR scene with biofilms is not necessarily, you know, it's not the same AMR that we are used to seeing, you know, in organisms with, that we see in cultures, you know, in typical susceptibility panels. So definitely it was a great episode. You know, it's always, it's always great having them and, you know, and getting to do an episode with both of them. It was even greater. So I hope you enjoy it and learn, you know, a little bit more about biofilms and AMR and, I will definitely post the link to the article in the show notes. So let's go ahead and listen to the episode. So in today's episode, you know, we are talking about microbiology again. It's very exciting. I have two guests. They have been on the podcast before. 
you know, very, you know, they're very active in the microbiology community and we'll also say medical lab science sciences. So they're going to talk about an article that was published in the American Society for Microbiology, which is titled The Role of Bacterial Biofilms in Antimicrobial Resistance. This was published on March 6th of this year. So with me today, I have Dr. Andrea Princey. She's an infectious disease medical science liaison. And Dr. Rodney Rohde, which is a professor and chair from Texas State University. Dr. Princey and Dr. Rohde, welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hi, Louise. Thank you. Hi, Louise. Thanks. It's always a pleasure joining you. Looking forward to it. Uh, yes, yeah, definitely. My, my pleasure having you. So let's go ahead and just, you know, start with some basics. You know, uh, so what are biofilms? Yeah, thanks for the start off here. So I'll get started on this. And, you know, really, if you think about microbiology in general, and if you think about bacteria, you've probably seen a biofilm, uh, whether you're a microbiologist or just someone out uh, observing and admiring nature because biofilms uh, are typically seen on different types of surfaces in nature, including, uh, for example, rocks and streams. You might see that look like slime or some type of layer that you've seen on rocks. That's actually found on our teeth. So bacteria create these kind of sticky uh, layers on your teeth. That's why it's so critical to floss and, and brush your teeth, obviously, to get rid of those bacterial films. You see them in, in water pipes, you can see them on plant roots, and, and really just about any type of surface out there, because one of the things we absolutely know about bacteria is that they're probably one of the most adaptable uh, microbes that we know, and they certainly have the ability to do so. So uh, when you see uh, biofilms in the medical community, it's a little bit bigger uh, problem because what it does is it really allows that bacterium to really have more of a virulence or the ability to cause disease. We call that a virulence factor. So certain bacteria, and we can get into this a little bit later perhaps, have the ability to create these things. And, and as they build and they get thicker and stickier, uh, they can be problematic. And so that's generally what a biofilm is. Uh, and I know you have some other questions related to them. So I'll kind of stop right there. And then we can kind of get more into maybe the medical impact. Yeah, definitely. Sounds sounds good. Yeah, I'll, I'll, as we continue, we'll build a little more on it. So definitely, thank you for that. Yeah, we have seen, you know, biofilms and definitely many places. And I did an episode where about different bacteria and, you know, and, and like in dishwashers and things like that. So, so the article says, you know, that the majority of human infections, they are biofilm mediated. Can you talk more about that? Sure. So again, we... We kind of talked a little bit about um, biofilms and kind of what they are. And Dr. Prinzi may get into this as well later, but just a quick comment that um, kind of their primary structural um, makeup is something that we call an extracellular polysaccharide matrix. That's a big mouthful. That's, that's EPS for short. And it really creates this very sticky kind of matrix substance that they're excreting. So I want the audience to kind of understand that um, this biofilm is kind of not only something that the bacteria kind of secrete and put on surfaces, but then they live within it. And then they can kind of be transient. They can come and go within that biofilm. And what this can do with, with respect to the medical community 
is that some of the actual primary human infections are what we call biofilm mediated. And that means that biofilm infections are often related to different types of medical devices. Uh, many people out there will know what I'm talking about when I discuss uh, knee replacements or uh, even contact lenses. You might see the recent story where Pseudomonas aeruginosa is in uh, eye drops and things like that. So that's a direct inoculation site uh, for a very heavy biofilm producing microbe, catheters, implants, different types of heart valves, even joints and screws. So there's that side. That's what we would call medical device uh, related. And then you also have tissue related biofilms. And this would be more involved with chronic wounds. Uh, you may have heard of these sometimes referred to as staph infections. And staph refers to a particular type of bacteria genus, uh, Staphylococcus. Uh, it also is seen in things like endocarditis, so like heart infections, chronic oitis media, ear infections, cystic fibrosis within lungs. And so when that happens uh, in these biofilms, whether it's medical device related or tissue related, it's really impacting our ability as medical professionals to uh, treat and perhaps even um, remove those types of infections because it really impacts uh, what we call antimicrobial efficacy. So that's another big word, but what that means is uh, when you're taking antibiotic uh, or even an antifungal drug, perhaps these biofilms actually can kind of mediate how well your, your drug's gonna work because it creates this almost barrier, uh, almost a force field, if you will, around the bacteria. And so, it's hard to get to the actual bug to kill it. It can also mediate the immune response. Uh, and ultimately, it kind of helps contribute to uh, the bigger problem globally known as antimicrobial resistance. So it really uh, gets into the problem of persistent and chronic infections. Um, more impactful, they can often be polymicrobial. So you have multiple types of bacteria kind of almost working together uh, within a biofilm. And so there's just a lot of, of far-reaching uh, implications in the medical arena, arena, and it's really difficult to deal with these. So it's, it's a very upfront and um, problematic issue right now that we're facing in healthcare. Indeed it is. And so um, as far as, so, you know, there are different, different bacteria uh, that can make up this, can be in this biofilm. So what organisms can you see in there? Yeah, so... Again, I know Dr. Prinzi will jump into this later because she's done done some writing and, and efforts in this world. But um, most of the research shows that um, in, in many in many different studies that Staphylococcus is a genus, and we can talk about specific species. So Staphylococcus epidermidis, Staphylococcus aureus, and there are others are quite often involved in these types of of infections. We also have um, the bacteria that uh, you might have heard of with respect to uh, Pseudomonas aeruginosa. Uh, that is a very problematic uh, biofilm type of organism. We have E. coli, let's see, Klebsiella pneumoniae. We have a Cenobacter. And, and so I'll kind of leave those as the big ones. Uh, we also have Candida auris, which has been all over the news in the last few weeks as a uh, really rapidly emerging 
antifungal drug. Candida is a yeast-like fungi that, that can uh, cause biofilm issues as well. And so those are the primary agents, but there are others, Luis, that uh, if you went and looked up that, that type of information, you might see dozens and dozens of organisms that can cause biofilms. You know, I might jump in there too, just, um, Luis, I'm thinking about for the medical laboratory scientists that are listening, you know, I think this is a important thing to think about when you think about how we write our operating procedures in the lab and how we work up certain cultures, right? So one thing I love about microbiology is how complex everything is. So if you think about, you know, the things that grow on our skin normally, and that they may not be causing disease in one situation, they certainly can become a pathogen or act like an opportunistic pathogen in another scenario. Uh, when you think about biofilms, that's when this really comes into play, right? So if you think about a patient that's got um, like a central line in place uh, for they're getting chemotherapy delivered that way or something to their bloodstream, they have this line in place, you know, coagulase negative staphylococcus on the skin may not be a problem in a patient that comes in without underlying issues, gets their blood drawn, their blood culture grows, coagneg staph, we might say, oh, that's a contaminant, right? But in a patient with a line, because we know that coagneg staph could potentially get on that line, make a biofilm, make a happy little home, and then, you know, dislodge these organisms that could then cause bacteremia in that patient, the growth of that organism may be really significant. And so I think that helps us think through when you're looking at these cultures and you're trying to sort out you know, what was in the gram stain? What's the organism type that's growing? How much of it is in the culture? Is it predominant? You're also thinking about the patient population and whether they have something implanted and whether this organism might be acting as an opportunistic pathogen. We saw this a lot uh, in my, uh, it was when I was doing my master's program, I did a lot of work with surgical spine infections. And so patients that had had uh, their spines fused, where you go in and you put a metal rod in the spine and then fuse it all up to help straighten out the patient's spine. Uh, this is where things like cutie bacterium acnes and coagnate staph, specifically staphylococcus epidermidis, were causing a ton of problems in these patients because they get in there, they make these biofilms, and then they kind of fester for a long time. Whereas, you know, someone that doesn't have a, a rod or, or something in place, if you just, you know, sampled some of their skin or an open wound and you grew coagnate staph, you might not think much of it. So I think that kind of helps sort out the pathogenicity or the virulence of some of these bugs in different settings. And that's why, you know, kind of like Dr. Rohde said, the, the biofilm can contribute a lot uh, to disease in these types of patients, especially if they have something in place that could get a biofilm on it. Yeah, great, great points. I was even going to point out in our article that we talk about, you know, bacteria that live in a biofilm, they, they typically exhibit anywhere from 10 to a thousand fold increase in antibiotic resistance compared to the to a similar bacteria living in a platonic state. So for example, one study showed that antibiotic resistance of Staphylococcus epidermidis in biofilms, listen to this, 100% of the isolates were susceptible, right? So it works when it's in a kind of a platonic state to vancomycin. Uh, but when you flip that uh, in the biofilm, 75% are completely resistant to the same antibiotic. So you know, that biofilm is truly a, um, a suit of armor, you know, it, it's, it's Kevlar to the bullets of antibiotics or antifungals. So it becomes really important in those situations like uh, Dr. Prinzi was talking about, whether it's that central line, whether it's a medical device, 
Uh, I have a good friend who's a, a healthcare associated infection survivor who is still dealing with a heart valve that has a probably pseudomonas uh, on it and it's seeding infections. And it's going to probably, you know, eventually be something that, that might end her life. So uh, my own father has MRSA in his ankle from uh, screws and metal that got put in when he was uh, dealing with some, some surgery. So these types of things, the public actually does need to be familiar with it and understand it at the level so that if they see, you know, symptomology around their loved ones and they really don't know what's going on, uh, you know, fevers on unknown origin, uh, other types of wounds that might pop up, they really need to understand how biofilms and, and at least antimicrobial resistance might be part of that equation. Yes, definitely. Okay, so we... we... Let's talk a little bit about AMR, and definitely this is a very long subject. And to the listeners out there, I know you, we as MLSs, we cover some and we learn a lot on the job. And stay tuned. As far as Let's Talk Micro, eventually we'll start bringing all this information and breaking it down in terms that everyone can understand. So just bear with me. We're going to talk a little bit. So um, can you talk about some common antibiotic resistance uh, mechanisms? I think I, I will jump in here. I, you know, like you said, Luis, we will save the deep dive into the mechanisms for a later date, which I'm really excited about. Um, but what I think is really, really interesting in the context of this particular article, and when we think about biofilms, is that the AMR is not really the same uh, between biofilms and how we think of it, you know, outside of the biofilm context. And what I mean by that is, is Traditionally, what we think of when we think of resistance in bacteria are things like uh, genetic point mutations or these genetic changes that happen over time that um, help the bacteria, you know, evade drugs in, in one way or another. Or we think of things like enzymes, beta lactamases, things like that, or uh, efflux pumps. So these, you know, mechanisms that the, the organisms have that literally can kick drugs back out instead of, you know, allowing them to come inside and, and cause damage to them. Those are the things we usually think about, but all of this looks quite different inside of a biofilm, which I think is actually really, really interesting. So the AMR that um, you think of when you think of a biofilm is this combination of, of like um, mechanistic type protection, kind of like Dr. Rody said, kind of this like armor. Uh, and then this, these other really interesting things happening in deeper levels of the biofilm. So I think the, the best way to think of it is you've got all this stuff that happens at the top first. So the, the biofilm is really this uh, you know, like we said earlier, this thick, sticky, um, slimy membrane that's just hard to penetrate in general. So it's a little bit harder for antibiotics to get inside there, uh, get into the organism and cause any damage. But let's say that they do, let's say an antibiotic does make its way through that first layer. Once it gets inside the biofilm, the atmosphere inside of there is actually pretty tough to um you know, antibiotics aren't alive, so I don't want to say stay alive in, but it's it's really hard for the antibiotic to stay intact. Um, there are, you know, for example, there's a kind of crazy pH changes. There's a lot of byproducts and wastes that are accumulating inside the deeper levels of the biofilm, things that may break an antibiotic down. So if it makes it past that first layer, it may not make it through the second layer because you've got all this, you know, really toxic condition uh, type things happening there. And then furthermore, that the organisms that are inside the biofilm 
are really close together. And so they can actually sort of talk to each other or exchange information, which makes things even more challenging. So there's a really cool phenomenon called quorum sensing that some bugs uh, do. There's actually a really great ASM bugs and drugs blog article about that um, that we did not write. Rodney, I don't know if you were a part of that one or not, but there's a great quorum sensing article that's available if anyone wants to read about that. Um, but it's essentially how these organisms talk to each other. And then they can also uh, exchange basically genetic information that confers some sort of resistance back and forth. And so when they're in this close proximity, they can transmit uh, these like transposable DNA elements or other biofilm promoting factors, things like that. So not only does that maintain the structure and integrity of this biofilm, which is making everything very difficult, uh, but it's also allowing bacteria to exchange uh, potentially, you know, resistance potential resistance mechanisms that then, you know, makes complicates the problem too. So it's this like multifaceted, um, multi-layered situation inside the biofilm um, that ultimately leads to resistance, but doesn't necessarily look the same. There's also these really interesting uh, cells that are called, I think they're called persister cells. So they're they're these organisms that can kind of go into a spore-like state. It's sort of like they go to sleep inside of the biofilm and that allows them to, uh, you know, like, you know how, when we think of bacteria that have spores and they're really hard to kill, um, it's really hard to get rid of them. It's the same kind of thing. They go into the spore-like state and then the antibiotics really can't touch them. They're not dividing when they're in this persister cell, cell state, uh, but they're protected from treatment against the antibiotic. And then once they go back to a platonic state or outside of the biofilm, they kind of revert back to their original state. Um, but when they're in this state within the biofilm, they really can't be touched, if you will. So all of these things are happening at the same time. And the impact of one of those over the other isn't totally clear. I think we're not, at least in the literature, it doesn't seem like uh, we're completely sure of, of how much any one of those contributes to the AMR problem. I think they all kind of work together. You know, some may impact um, the treatment or, or um, you know, persistence of the resistance more than another, but I'm not sure which of those that is. I think they all kind of work together to make this scary little environment. Yeah, one of the one of the interesting things that I'll add to that, uh, one of the ways I describe this sometimes to the general public or to my family, for example, when we're talking about my father who deals with this, is that, and I mentioned it in the article a little bit, um, I like to think of this as kind of like trench warfare. So if you think about World War One, where they had trenches, you know, where they were digging in and people moved around the trenches to get their their weaponry uh, closer to the enemy and things like that. And they were also able to avoid attacks. You can kind of think about biofilms in that way. It's just at the surface, like, like Dr. Frenzy was talking about, and then all the way down to the bottom of those trenches and throughout that trench, there is this kind of opportunity for these bacteria to kind of hide and pop up when they need to. And these persister cells, you know, it's almost like a, a spy. You can send them out beyond the the trenches and it's really really you know i always talk about this as kind of a diabolical feature they're just really nasty at at finding ways to get around our our kind of therapeutic activity so that's that's my kind of take on it when i'm sometimes talking about it is it's just really a diabolical way that they can persist literally and and be moved from one not only between the same genus but they can even transfer resistance genes to other uh, genus genera of bacteria. We call that 
you know, kind of a trans kind of transferable genetic trait that you can transfer through your pili and other mechanisms. So that's getting into the weeds a little bit, but to say, to say the least of the matter is that they are absolutely diabolical in how they can kind of avoid therapy. Yes. All right. And definitely, you know, thank you for that. That was a great explanation. Um, so, and then I was, I was going to ask about the role of biofilms and Dr. Brincy definitely addressed that. Um, as I was reading, you know, it says, you know, the diagnosis of biofilm infections, it is challenging for healthcare providers. Can you touch on that a little bit more, please? Well, I think I would just add that, um, you know, if you think about, like, when I think about these patients that had their spinal fusions, and then they would come back months later, you know, with some concerning symptoms that might suggest they had a surgical site infection or, or hardware that was infected. The only way they could really go in and clean this out was to open the patient's wound back up, you know, consider removing that rod, which has been fused to their spine, you know, do, do debridement, remove tissue, um, do long-term, probably you know, heavy duty therapy to try to, to clean this all up. And so I think that's the challenge is, um, trying to be as non-invasive as possible in making a diagnosis with one of these infections, but also trying to determine um, how effective your therapy will be if you really don't clean up the source of the infection. And so that's what's so challenging about some of these, especially with implanted devices, is uh, consideration of removal of the device is very important for eliminating the infection. Uh, but that's a really hard decision to make if, you know, say the person is receiving some sort of important therapy through the line that's infected, or if having a surgery is something that would be high risk for them, or if the surgery itself is something that's very complicated and, and could cause a lot more damage. These are just tough decisions to make uh, and may be essential to, you know, officially diagnosing that type of infection and, and cleaning it out. It, you know, the treatment itself may also be difficult because it may involve something like debridement or device removal. Um, but I think that would just be my two cents. And of course, I, I want to stay in my lane here. I'm not, you know, the one ever, you know, actually diagnosing these patients, but just from the work I've done previously and from a, an infection prevention standpoint, um, the time I spent with infection preventionists at the hospital while I was doing my epidemiology master's was really uh, enlightening for me in that uh, the work that they do to try to prevent these types of infections before they happen is really, really important. I think that's where a lot of important interventions can probably be made here. Um, and that's where a lot of the efforts do go uh, just to try to prevent any sort of hospital acquired infection, particularly uh, surgical site infections. Uh, that's a really big goal of a lot of infection prevention programs for reasons like this, right? That the diagnosis may be really hard to make and that these are really, really hard to treat once a patient gets them. Yeah, I would I would jump in here too and just add, I really want to echo what Dr. Prenzi says about uh, infection preventionist IPs. I've worked with them as well. I actually have some alumni that have become CIC certified. Uh, and I also want to throw in here the importance of not only that group of professionals, but the environmental services professionals who clean rooms and clean surfaces. I've worked in that realm uh, as a microbiologist uh, consulting with those individuals. And I have this saying, I've, I've written it before, not only for ASM, but for other, other entities. And that is that all surfaces matter all the time to everyone uh, when you're thinking about these types of infections. So you know, the, the best way to deal with this is to prevent the infection and, and avoiding these types of biofilm associated infections. So easier said than done. 
Uh, but really, those professionals are so important to the overall health care of, of, of what I would say the environmental health of a hospital or a healthcare setting. Yes, definitely. And um, so, so I know you you touch on 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 treatment for biofilms, you know. So basically, like, and this is not what we do in our in our in our work, but as far as so it would be probably just removing the device, and then if it doesn't, sometimes you know, as you describe, it can be invasive. Um, so maybe some sort of therapy and monitor the patient. Is that about it? Yeah, I think that um, at least a lot of the infectious disease clinicians I've worked with over the years, a lot of them would say, you know, it's going to be pretty difficult to clear up one of these infections if you don't remove the source or, or fully clean out the source, which often involves removing that device or whatever it may be that's infected. Um, but if there's, you know, if it's a situation where they can't do that because the patient, it's either too risky or the patient really does need that um, existing device or line or, or whatever, I think that's where you start to see potentially some really broad, um, broad spectrum, maybe heavy duty therapies. And I think the reason for that may be that I don't think we mentioned it earlier necessarily, but the um, these biofilms can be uh, polymicrobial a lot of the time. And so they may, you know, clinicians may choose to use therapy that covers a multitude of organisms. And then given all the AMR issues that we talked about earlier, you know, I think this therapy can be pretty intense too. So um I think that's why that, as we said, you know, prevention is just like so important uh, and saves a lot of um, cost and, and pain and suffering down the road if we can prevent them in the first place. Yes. And I also definitely, yeah, awareness. And you said like making sure that as healthcare workers, right? So definitely making sure we have clean surfaces and educating the staff. And I will say, you know, doing things like you're you're doing. So publishing this type of information that everyone can see and and, you know, we can educate ourselves and learn more about these things. Um, is there anything else that, that you want to add, either of you? I, the only thing I would add is, is kind of tacking onto what you just said, Luis, and that is, I think, you know, I'm a huge advocate uh, for science communication. I know Dr. Prenzi is. We love, we love this opportunity to discuss these types of infections, as well as our love for microbiology history and, and many other topics. So, whether you are in the public listening to Luis's podcast, or you are a practicing MLS or MLT professional, or you're another, or you're another type of healthcare professional, you can do your part to educate others. And and for me, this became really apparent when I had it. You know, as often it was personal. It was my father, and so you know that community out there needs to hear. Um, even if you remember nothing else other than you know. You can be an advocate for your loved ones when they're going into healthcare to make sure that, you know, it's okay to remind the physician and the healthcare team that, you know, you know, just check in doc, you know, is everybody observing uh, the proper PPE? Is the surface is clean? You know, my mom's got cancer and she's going in for this type of uh, catheter or this central line. And I really am concerned about these types of infections. So you know, you, you can do those sorts of things, and I've done it personally. So I think it's important that everyone is at least aware of this type of problem. Absolutely. And I just want to give a, a real quick shout out um, also to Dr. Robin Patel and her team at Mayo Clinic. Dr. Patel is the director of the Infectious Diseases Research Laboratory over there, and they primarily, I think they do a lot of really wonderful things, but I know that their research really focuses 
on biofilms. And she has been publishing in this space for a very, very long time. So if this is something you want to learn more about, or you want to follow some really great research that's being done in that space, I highly recommend uh, looking up her papers and her research team. Again, they're wonderful. Um, they have lots of, of really great insights and, and could inform inform you well. Yeah, great point. Uh, and since you mentioned that, I'll just throw one out too. If you're interested in uh, not only that level, kind of the medical side, I have a colleague literally across the street here at Texas State. His name's Dr. Robert McLean. He's a Canadian. He came here years ago. Now he's a, a an honorary Texan. And his entire career for the past 35, 40 years has been in the world of biofilms. And he has had actual research projects on space shuttles. So he looks at the impact of biofilms in uh, space travel and on the space station. Fascinating stuff, uh, kind of kind of looking at that impact of an environment that doesn't have any gravity and, and just looking at it from a different angle, but really fascinating papers and, and other things to check out. Definitely. And uh, Dr. Prince, you mentioned uh, an art, a paper about uh, quorum sensing. So if you can send me the link and I'll go ahead and put the, that one on the show notes. And I, I, you may, you mentioned Dr. Patel, and actually, yeah, uh, she was actually the first guest on Let's Talk Micro, along with other shoots. Yeah, I was, I was reading this article, and then I wasn't sure. It's was like I just been doing this for a few months, not everyone knew about it, and I just reached out, and I was fortunate enough, like both of you, that whenever I reach out, you know, you say yes and come to the podcast and talk about stuff. So definitely, once again, you know, thank you for taking the time to come into Let's Talk Micro. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Thanks, Luis. Thanks a bunch. My pleasure. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed learning more about biofilms with Dr. Andrea Princey and Dr. Rodney Rohde. As always, I enjoy bringing this information to you. So thank you for listening. Please continue downloading episodes and subscribing to the podcast. I appreciate the support. Please continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important. We do such great work. As always, stay motivated. Stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro until the next time. Bye.